This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. So why do seagulls live near the sea? Because if they live near the bay, they'd be bagels. Welcome to Wings and Things, where you'll find real answers to real questions about everything you want to know about pet birds. Care, feeding, bird products, travel, and more. Everything to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. From parrots to parakeets, cockatiels to cockatoos, you'll have a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about your fun, feathered friends. So, spread your wings and get ready to fly on Wings and Things. Welcome to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. We're your hosts, Robin Shawokas from the Leather Elves and Barbara Heidenreich from Good Bird Inc. Today's topic is finding reinforcers and creative forms of enrichment for your bird. We'll be right back after these messages. Sitting on a branch overlooking the parking lot, the pigeons watched as a Mercedes pulled in below them. What do you think, one bird said to the other. Should we put a deposit on that car? Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. What if you could protect the life of your cat with something so simple and affordable that you already use every day? Get ready for the evolution of kitty litter. It's Kitty Litter. Along with all the features you've come to expect from your kitty litter, Pretty Litter's patented and scientific formula will also monitor your cat's health and detect illnesses early while providing industry-leading odor control. Two kitty litters, same cat, same price. But there's one important difference. Pretty Litter reacts to your cat's waste by detecting health issues simply by changing color. And the key is that Pretty Litter detects these issues before your cat shows symptoms of physical illness or pain, likely saving you major dollars in vet bills while protecting the health of your cat. What do you think, little guy? Ready to switch litter? Pretty Litter. Colorful insight into your cat's health. Go to prettylittercats.com forward slash cat 101 or use coupon code cat 101 to get 20% off your first subscription order. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. Well, finding reinforcers can be really difficult for your bird. And in the training world, and, and certainly for pet parrot owners, I often hear people can't train their bird because he won't take any treats. And I hear, my bird doesn't play with toys. He doesn't need enrichment. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's, it's easy. There's no training, no enrichment. We're done. <laughs> Life must be very End boring. End of show for this week. <laughs> That's it. Life is boring for those birds. <laughs> well, even though those can be challenges, there's definitely ways to address that. And first, we're going to tackle that whole thing about food. If you want to use food as a reinforcer, how do you how do you work with that? And why should you or, or should you look, look at other options and different ways to create motivation? So first of all, I, I like to say that food really can be a great reinforcer for your bird, but it only works if your bird would like to eat. <laughs> so it's powerful under certain conditions, right? Um, the other thing is you don't really have to teach your bird to eat food because it is a natural reinforcer. And of course, natural behavior out in the wild. They're looking for food, they're finding food, they're eating food. 
it's about food quite a bit. Yeah, I think it is. Like hours and hours of looking for food. So food's pretty important to him. Another thing that we know about a lot of animals, not just uh, parrots, is is a thing called contra-freeloading. It's a big fancy word. But basically what it means is that given the opportunity to um, use their adaptations to acquire food, animals will usually make that choice rather than just take food freely from a bowl. They've done studies with things like rats and chickens, and of course, um, there are some studies with parrots, I believe, too. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of tested this one out myself with some chickens at a zoo where I've been consulting. The chickens um, are trained to do education programs, so they go out to see uh, children at schools, and they do a bunch of behaviors. They're really fabulous. In fact, you can see the rooster that we trained crowing. To cr he crows on cue, and you can see that at my YouTube site, which is YouTube uh, backslash good bird ink. And um, one of the things is these birds have a, a chicken mash kind of thing uh, in their cages all the time with them. And when we take them out to do shows or presentations, they get corn um, as a reinforcer and they love that. So after a presentation one day, we put them back in their enclosures and the food that's always in there was in the bowl like it always is. And I took a handful out and I threw it in the shavings. And lo and behold, this bird who was stuffed to the gills with corn hopped down off of her perch and went scratching in that shavings to get that mash. So even though she has that food in front of her all the time and she could eat it from a bowl, when it was presented in a way where she could use her natural behavior, mm -hmm. her adaptations, she really went for it. A lot of people think, oh, this bird's in captivity. It really, you know, it has such an easy life. It just gets its food whenever, you know, whenever it wants it, it's available. And, and to a point, you know, that is true. But I think Barbara makes makes that statement that they do seem to like to work for that food, to, to have to look for it, to be active in getting that food. Because, you know, in the wild, it doesn't come in bowls and it's not cut up in nice little pieces. That's true. Neither is my food. Oh, I have no. to do a little work to get it sometimes, too. <laughs> So the other nice thing about using food as a reinforcer is that it's really helpful if you've got an animal that really has no history with you. So it doesn't really maybe want a head scratch from you or your attention. It doesn't have any value to them. Um, and food can be really helpful in those circumstances. You can actually pair food with those experiences so they start to um, develop a relationship with you. That is one of the things that I um, tell people when they're talking about my bird doesn't play with toys. Um, using that food, sometimes food will get an animal to a toy. And then if, if it's got a food element to it, they may play with it. Um, so it's just part of that. Um, food is very, very powerful. Actually, some of your toys, um, you guys have some different nuts and things. We on try yours. to add nuts and some fruit to some of the wooden toys, wooden leather toys, so that there is that, that option. And I tell people, you know, I, I, can't, I wish I had a nickel, a penny for every time <laughs> I heard, oh, no, no, my bird doesn't play with toys. Because the, the food element will sometimes get them there. And then, okay, the food's gone, you know, because we don't put a ton of food on each toy. Um, and the food's gone. And, oh, this is kind of cool. I can play with this wood. I can chew on this leather. Um, and so it is, it, it is reinforcing the behavior of playing. Yep. You know, so even without you having to do anything, that, that food is acting as a reinforcer. Yep, absolutely. And that really ties into um, the next point, and that is basically that food can be used to add to your list of reinforcers. So now that toy can become reinforcing for right. your bird just because it's been paired with food. Same thing with things like um, the head scratch if your bird is uncomfortable with being touched, things like that. And the other nice thing about using food as a reinforcer is it helps you avoid the use of negative reinforcement to get behavior. A lot of times when we're we're challenged by how do we get this bird to do what we want, we, we sort of resort to force. And to me, negative reinforcement really tends to 
go towards that side of using force, which sometimes called escape or harassment training, because mm-hmm. basically the animal's avoiding something it doesn't like, or or some sort of aversive experience, in order to increase the behavior you want. I, I think you have a really good example of that, and you, you use it in your workshop. I've seen it. Um, the the bird with the magazine oh the paper behind right. it yeah. yeah yeah there's an african gray um i have a little video clip of of this african gray who doesn't want to step up on the hand and uh what somebody does to get the behavior of step up is they put a piece of paper behind the bird and the bird doesn't care for that behind him so he steps onto the hand to get away from it and as soon as he does that the person removes the paper from behind the bird so it's that removal of that aversive experience that's increasing the behavior of step up and even though it works it's really not a very trust building way to get behavior it's it's in my opinion i'd much rather see that bird step up onto the hand for a treat right or some attention or access to a favorite enrichment item like mm-hmm. a toy or a box or something that he loves to destroy and and that is a an animal making the choice because something good's going to happen right right i mean it's common sense you know and i know we we sometimes get told that we anthropomorphize our animals you know and we talk about them in human terms um but i think a lot when you think about it wouldn't you rather do something because something great's going to happen rather than i'll do that because nothing bad's going to happen you know the great payoff that big hoo-hoo at the end is much more exciting than Okay, nothing bad happened. Or or I have to do it to avoid that scary thing. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, much better for sure. Another good quality about using food is that you can get lots of quick repetition. And um, and every time you have a repetition in training, it's actually a moment of learning. Your animal's learning that, oh, I did this and I got this. Yay. So that's another value of using food. But one of the big challenges, as we said, is that people will often lament that their bird won't eat, you know, or they offer him an almond and he drops it on the floor. So you offer it again, he drops it again (laughs) because you thought he was just clumsy. (laughs) But in reality, he may not have been motivated. (laughs) It's motivation. (laughs) Those clumsy parrots. Um, But there are ways to create motivation for food that um, everybody can take advantage of. I, I have to stop you just for one second. Sure. Because when you talk about giving your bird an almond, are you giving him an almond? Or are you giving him a piece of almond? Well, that's one of my recommendations in terms of creating motivation. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. we A lot of times people focus on, you know, a whole treat. So like a whole grape or a whole almond or a whole sunflower seed. When in fact, one way to help create a little bit of more, more motivation on your bird is to break those treats up into lots and lots and lots of tiny pieces. I try to tell people um, for a good visual, take a piece of popcorn, say like an, a piece of air popped popcorn, which can be a good reinforcer for your parrot because it's it's not doesn't have all that stuff added to it um and instead of giving that whole piece of popcorn even for your macaw break that up into 20 pieces see if you can get 20 pieces out of that and i'll tell you what your parrot will work for it Mm -hmm. and especially if it's a treat that they don't you know if they only get one almond per day and it's broken up into a bunch of little tiny pieces um it can really go a long way as a reinforcer without filling your bird up when i think you know one way to think about it and the way i think about it is if you take an almond and you hold it next to your bird and it's almost as big as, from for me, with a cake, it's almost as big as his head, <laughs> you know? And if somebody offered me a piece of cake, you know, we went to the Cheesecake Factory and there was that <laughs> big piece of cheesecake and it was wonderful, but if it were as big as my head and I tried to eat it, I, I wouldn't be real motivated to do anything yeah, after that. Yeah, not, not, not even, certainly not eat something, right. let alone yeah, get off the no couch. No more cheesecake, <laughs> sorry, that's not happening. 
Yeah, definitely small portions go a long way for, or small small pieces will get you a lot farther in training than one big giant piece. And plus it takes him like, you know, 10 minutes to eat that whole almond. Right. When if you had a little tiny piece, he finishes that one, he goes, ooh, where's the next one? I'm ready for another repetition. And so that's where you get those quick reps that I was mentioning before. So of course, almonds are often a favorite treat. And instead of putting things like that just in the in the food bowl, you can take all that stuff out of the diet and save it for training. And say, for example, you offer your bird um, maybe some fruits and veggies and, and pelleted and maybe a small amount of seed and nuts. You can take out all the best parts of the diet and save that for training. So um, a lot of times your bird will eat his most favorite item out of the food bowl first. Mm-hmm. So that's a good way to identify those things. Take them out of the bowl save them for training, break them up into little tiny pieces so you can get lots more opportunities. And you know what you can do is you can actually stash those treats around the house. So it isn't just for a training session, it's for any time your bird does something you like. You can reinforce that good behavior. Well, it's funny. I think um, my son didn't realize I was pulling walnuts for training sessions um, for my bird. And um, I would put them in places and they would disappear. And because my son was like, oh, a walnut, and he'd eat it. It was reinforcing for him. <laughs> so you just have to make sure everyone knows why you're putting those walnuts and almonds around the house. Right. <laughs> so other strategies for creating motivation include uh, maybe changing the way you present food. So we talked about using the favorite portions and making them smaller. But another idea is instead of just putting your bird's food in his cage in the morning and kind of walking away and calling it a day, you can break that up into uh, maybe three times that you feed him a day. Take that diet, break it up into different portions, offer a portion in the morning, and but not so much that he can't eat it all. So maybe he finishes it in, you know, two, three, four hours, and when you come back at the end of four hours, his bowl's empty. That's a great time to have a training session because he's going to be most motivated, and then you can feed him another portion of his diet. And come and do the same thing later. But you're starving him to death. Oh, no. <laughs> you're right. People ask that question, and, and it's a really good a good question. You know, um, by definition, deprivation is just removing something of value for a period of time. Now, what that period of time is, is really what's up for us to figure out, what's appropriate for your bird. I certainly don't want to see a bird overly anxious about food. And it's real difficult to describe on the radio, and so I actually do um, a lot of videotape of body language so people can see what that looks like. And when I do my seminars, um, I really try to evaluate uh, an animal's attention for a food Mm -hmm. reinforcer before we do a training session, and I really show people what that looks like so that they know what, what cues I'm looking for that let me know that this bird's you know, he's not interested, which is not a good time to train. He's mildly interested or very interested, or he's too interested. You need to get some food in that bird mm-hmm. um, because either end of the spectrum is not good for training. We really want something sort of just in the middle, kind of like, you know, how when, uh, you know, maybe it's like just before lunchtime for you, or maybe you finish lunch, but you still have room for dessert. Sort of that whole range works really well for training. I always have room for dessert. Even big cheesecake after. But it brings up another point when you say when it's time for lunch for you. You know, you suggested breaking it up into maybe three times or or something like that. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, I work and I'm out every day and I can't. I just can't possibly do that. Nobody says that your parrot has to eat it, you know, breakfast at 7, lunch at noon, and and dinner at 5. You know, if it's before you go to work. Um, And then when you come home from work and then later on, you know, depending on what time your bird kind of, you know, goes to bed or goes to sleep. 
And even the composition of that can be different. So maybe you offer fruits and vegetables, um, you know, first thing in the morning so that they get something in their belly, but then they're, you know, maybe they're ready two hours later because they digested that really fast. They're ready for some more of their diet. And Mm -hmm. so maybe that's a better time for you to do your second feeding. Right. And if, if you're not, is it, it's still possible to do though, even if you're not home during the day. Sure. You know, if it, it can, you can still do these kind of um, scenarios even if you're out of the house during the day. Sure. And I also tell people that it doesn't have to be the same routine every day. Maybe during the week, maybe you offer um, uh, the pelleted diet at free choice all day long, but then in the evening you offer all the, the favorite stuff like the seeds and the nuts and the fruits and veggies for training. And then maybe on the weekend you switch to, okay, I'm going to do the, the breakfast, lunch, and dinner kind of scenario so that I can have three more opportunities to train my bird today. Mm-hmm. I think that that's important too. One of the things I like to talk about with people is you know changing it up so that it's not um, you're coming at the bird with the same food every morning. I mean, think about you know, if somebody said to me, this isn't breakfast, but if somebody said to me, Robin, you can have a Snickers bar every single day, I'd be thrilled. I'd be like, woohoo, yay. But then if you came to me every day at two o'clock with that Snickers bar, eventually I wouldn't want it. I'd be tired of it. I'd, you know, be hiding when you came at two o'clock. <laughs> I'm nothing personal, but you know, you need to be, be varied with the way you're presenting that. Sure. Now, another strategy is to train your bird just before normal feeding time. I I always use this example of uh, some aviary birds I worked with at a zoo um, in Texas. This was an aviary full of things like um, aeroceres, which are a type of toucan species, I guess, for, or they're in that same family. And then um, little things called katingas and bellbirds, which are all little relatively small birds. Um, and I was doing some training with them. And the problem is these birds have a really fast metabolism. They need to um, have a lot of food available. And a lot of them are eating sort of a fruit diet primarily. Mm-hmm. So it goes through them really fast. And what would happen is um, these guys would have their food with them almost all day long. It got pulled somewhere around 6 o'clock at night because most of the birds were going to to sleep by then, and so they weren't going to eat anyway. We'd pull out the bowls, and then in the morning I would show up about 7 o'clock or so, and I would have a training session with the birds, and boy, were they ready to go. And then right after the training session, all their diets were put in the enclosure, and they had their food with them all day long. So we still had great sessions, but all we did, we didn't have to monitor weight or monitor amounts. We just trained when the birds were most receptive. So one more thing that you can consider, we talked about monitoring weight and monitoring amounts. Um, There are some situations where we do see birds getting way more food (laughs) than they probably need. And I think that's often a big surprise for people. You know, we, we certainly are of the culture where food is love. Right. So we offer lots of food because that's how we show we care. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, that sometimes leads to um, parrots that are just getting so much food that they're either overweight or they're so uninterested that, you know, even that Snickers bar, like you said, has lost its value. Right. <laughs> so what what I recommend doing is um, see if you can get an idea of just exactly how much your bird actually eats in a day. And you might do that by weighing the diet before you present it. Leave that with your bird all day, and at the end of the day, pull it out. Put, you know, if you can pick up the stuff that got thrown on the floor too, you mm-hmm. do that, and then weigh what was left over, and you'll get a better idea of how much that bird's actually eating in a day. You can then start trying to feed roughly that amount that you've determined they've been eating, and then keep an eye on them. You know, what often happens when food isn't overabundant is they start going, "Hey, wait a second, there's no food." leftover. I better eat some more, you know, so when there's an opportunity for food, they're a little more anxious about getting it. So you may end up increasing the diet gradually till it gets to a level where you kind of have a a good idea of 
how much food it takes to maintain that bird um, in a healthy weight range. Still get a little motivation when you when you want to have some training sessions, but of course. At, at, that bird is also pretty satiated at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break, and we're going to talk a bit more about reinforcers and some other types of reinforcers that you can use. So we'll be right back after these messages. Ah! What are you doing? Stay perched. Wings and things will be soaring back right after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things with your hosts, Barbara Heidenreich and Robin Chawokas on Pet Life Radio. One of the things Barb didn't mention, or we talked about it briefly, was um, enrichment as a reinforcer. There are so many different types of enrichment that you can use. As far as dietary is concerned, um, things like foraging, going back to their natural history. Is your bird a ground forager? You know, um, is your bird an arboreal forager? Where are you presenting the food? You know, we get sucked into that, okay, the food bowl goes here. This is where the food goes. Um, Placing it in different places around the cage. It doesn't always have to be in the same location. You know, it doesn't have to be brain surgery either. Um, I I talk to people a lot about foraging and um, they'll say, well, I tried to do foraging and, and my bird was really hungry because he never found the food. Okay, so it's a learning curve, you know, start out small and and gradually build things up. Um, Favorites, we we talk a lot about favorites, and Barb mentioned you can save those favorites, you know, use them to your advantage, you know, don't be stingy with them, but but really use those for training opportunities. Um, So dietary can, can have so many different applications. It can be a favorite, it can be the location, it can be um, different, cutting in things in different you know, shapes and sizes. Like I mentioned, things aren't always cut in those tiny pieces. Um, I find myself doing it all the time for Nikki. I, you know, chop up things really small and I think, oh, he's a small bird. He needs teeny tiny pieces. Well, you know, he really doesn't. You can put that whole strawberry in there on a kebab and it's gone just the same as the tiny little cut up pieces of strawberry. So essentially food is reinforcing the activity of, of, you know, looking for food and actively working to get there. Right. Food. I mean, that's that's what we had, you know discussed before that that the animals do like to work for their food. You know, it's not just about um, here it is in a bowl. Let me go find it. Let me seek it out in different places. Um, and it it creates that activity, which activity can in itself be reinforcing as well. Um, there are you know other types of reinforcement, visual reinforcement. Um, we go back and forth in the parrot community all the time on mirrors. 
Um, are mirrors detrimental? Can they be reinforcing? Um, they can sometimes cause aggressive behavior or, um, you know, too much mating be be behavior is, is shown. And that can be if the parrot thinks that there's a, another um, same species animal in the cage with it. So you might, you know, you need to monitor things like that, but you can visually enrich things. Um, you know, sometimes a, a visual image is reinforcing to that animal. It doesn't have to be just another bird. It can be, you know, something that you're, a colorful thing that your bird has shown, you know, some attraction to. Um, so enrichment can take very different forms. And perching, when we talk about visual enrichment, I talked a little bit in our last episode about um, moving perching around and, and giving them a different outlook. You know, what are they looking at? You can reinforce, um, you know, that behavior that whatever it is, if it's coming out of the cage, um, you can put perching in different places and that going to that certain perch may be reinforcing as well. Yeah, we see a lot of parrots prefer um, uh, sitting on an elevated perch, so they'll go to the highest perch in the cage. So if there's a certain location in your cage that you would prefer your bird go to, you might use perching placement to create that behavior. Right, and and use a preferred perch in itself, which which kind of brings me to tactile enrichment. You know, is it that that um, you know sandy perch or you know the sandy texture is it um, a birch perch is it a manzanita perch it, and it all depends on what your bird prefers I mean there there are so many different perching options yeah I found one that I really like and when I was in Australia they call it a uh, paper bark and it's this really soft squishy kind of um, uh, perch I don't know how else to describe it and I and I know you can get it here in the US I, f I forget exactly a website we'll have to look that one up okay. for you and we'll find that for the next episode but I do believe you can get them here in the US and they're they're real soft and there's lots of layers mm -hmm. to, to peel off so there's lots of activity to be done there that's too. one of the nice things about birch we use that a lot um, for tactile enrichment whether it be perching or on a toy and with the birch you've got those multiple layers um, and I know um, some of you out there in the audience are now going, <gasps> Birch, it's on the list. It's one of those bad things. Um, it does show up on some of the toxic plant lists. Um, we've never, ever had a problem with it. Um, there, you know, there, when you look at those toxic plant lists, you kind of need to consider um, what part of the tree are we talking about. That, and that's really important when you're banning something from your parrot's life. Um, you need to be aware of what part of something are we talking about. But as far as the tactile opportunity is concerned, with birch there are those layers. There's the paper layer on the outside, there's what I call the cork layer next, and then there's the wood. I had a woman purchase a birch tree from us and she said she bought it in October and she put it in her cockatoo's cage who generally just destroys everything. And I saw her again in January and she told me that it was still there. That the wood was still intact but her cockatoo had very systematically removed all the layers that were around the wood, the hardwood core. So. Um, Olfactory comes up with parrots, the question of olfactory enrichment. Scents and can be very reinforcing. I mean, we use scents a lot with mammals um, as reinforcers, but I think there's that question out there. I've, you know, there are people that will say, oh, parrots absolutely have, you know, olfactory enrichment doesn't work with parrots. My question to you is, Barb, does Tara have a scent? Absolutely. Um, as an Amazon parrot, and all you Amazon parrot owners out there know exactly what I'm talking about, Amazons have a really distinct odor that seems to come from like their respiratory system, I think. Um, and I will say this, 
his scent is actually reinforcing to me. There you go. Because, um, you know, I associate all these good things about spending time with my parrot. So when I smell that Amazon scent, if I'm at a seminar or something, it's for like mom's apple pie. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, it's all associated with good stuff for me. So, so it may be, you know, it may be that, that, that Amazons need to smell each other. There's only, they only need to smell that certain scent. But my feeling on olfactory enrichment for, for birds is if you find that it's reinforcing, if you're getting a, re- a positive response out of it, then why not try it? Why not use it? And if you get no response at all, then you don't need to do it again. Yeah, we may, maybe in one of our future episodes, we can uh, ask one of our veterinarian contacts a little bit more about that because I'm really intrigued to know why why do certain parrots um, present a certain odor if they, quote, don't have a sense of smell? You know, right. they po- it, maybe it is possible that they're detecting it. I don't know if there's research that's been done on that yet, and I'd love to find out. It's something that, that I've been looking into quite a bit because I feel like it, it would just open up so many more opportunities, you know, enrichment-wise for people if we could say that, yes, there is definitely um, an olfactory benefit. So we talked a little bit about auditory in our last show. And finally, social. Um, social enrichment, you know, whether it be a preferred person um, or, you know, time with it spent with another bird, um, maybe putting two cages side by side if they're not actually together. Um, some birds, you know, if you've got a flock of birds in your house, which many people do, um, you know, putting them together can be very reinforcing. They are such social animals in the wild, you know, and if you don't have other birds, remember that you become that flock for your animal and you may be that reinforcer yourself. Absolutely. I also like um, the idea of using a bath as a reinforcer. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I love it when birds take baths. To me, it kind of indicates that they're feeling relaxed and comfortable. Life is good. Well, I, I remember the first time Nikki um, decided to take a bath in his water bowl, and my dad thought he was drowning himself. Oh. Yeah, but he, we, we realized it was it was actually very reinforcing to him, and I'm working with him now with a, um, a small like pan of water. Um, to see if he, you know, will bathe in that. And you can also mist your bird as a reinforcement, um, and that's that's tactile as well. Yeah, absolutely. Another one that I've um, used in workshops before is this whole kind of getting a bird excited or aroused, but um, it, it's a lot of fun, and it's probably more fun for the people sometimes, but I, I caution people when they use it too because you can get a bird too excited, and then they sometimes flip to aggressive behavior. But if you're working on a hands-off thing or... or you know, something where you don't have to get in close contact with a bird. Sometimes you can use that to reinforce behavior. We did that with a little um, blue-fronted Amazon at a seminar in uh, Canada a couple years ago. This bird was just, you know, all about, you know, you getting that high-pitched voice mm-hmm. and getting all excited. And um, and he really wanted to step up on me, so I used that opportunity to reinforce a wave. So I would I would uh, present my hand, and he'd go to lift his foot, and I'd go, whoa, and get all excited. And he was like, whoa, it was so exciting. And pretty soon, he he learned that all he had to do was lift his foot and I would get all excited with him and that was his reinforcer for Mm -hmm. that behavior. Absolutely. So, and one final word about enrichment um, in this situation is introducing it slowly. You know, um, doing some desensitization when it it comes to using enrichment as a reinforcer, you need to be aware that you're not shoving or forcing something on that animal um, because then it's definitely not going to be reinforcing, you know. Yeah, I think like people sometimes think their attention is reinforcing to a bird when the bird's body language is saying, whoa, get Mm -hmm. away from me. Even though your intentions may be really nice and really good, you have to be honest with yourself. If the bird's looking uncomfortable, then it's not really a positive reinforcer for them. Right, and you need to be, and, and the other thing is if you're offering some of these things, don't immediately discount them if they don't 
appear to be reinforcing the first time that you you offer them. Uh, I can remember we were working with a, a park in Florida that had a collection of parrots, and we had sent them a, an order of toys, and they knew we were coming to town, so they put them all in the cage the first day they got them. And we walked up to the park, and at the front gate they had a bunch of um of parrot cages. And in each cage, the toy was on the far right-hand side, and the bird was on the far left-hand mm-hmm. side. Um, so it wasn't a great um, commercial for the leather elves, to, you know, <laughs> to say the least. But it shows that you need to apply them slowly. You know, give them things that they may, you know, work up to liking or... After a while, it may become reinforcing. So don't discount things right off the bat. Well, very good. Well, we have some events coming up we'd like to tell you about. On July 19th, the Long Island Parrot Society is presenting the South American Parrot Conference in Babylon, New York. You can check out um, Long Island Parrot Society's website for details. And I will be in Cincinnati in July, on July 26th, and I'll be teaching a parrot behavior and training workshop out that way. Oh, and I've got another thing in uh, the summer. And August 7th, I'll be teaching a seminar on solving parrot behavior problems. This one's only about two to three hours in the evening, and that's hosted by Gallery of Pets. And August 11th through the 14th is the Association of Avian Veterinarians Annual Conference in Savannah, Georgia. Both Barbara and I will be um, participating in this event. Barbara is going to be doing a wet lab and teaching a master class, and she'll also be available at her vendor booth. Um, I'm presenting on Sunday of the conference as part of the Avian Behavior and Enrichment Program. In September, I'll be in Las Vegas, September 27th, teaching a parrot behavior and training workshop. And then in October, October 3rd through 5th, there's going to be a parrot behavior and learning for the veterinary professional seminar. This is a three-day intensive seminar, very hands-on. It's going to feature Dr. Susan Friedman, myself, Jerry Labond, who's a, a veterinarian, and Dr. Lori Hess. And this will be at the Gabriel Foundation. So you can visit their website at thegabrielfoundation.org for more information on that one. Great. And on October 11th, I will be at the Long Island Parrot Society's Parrot Expo 2008. Um, It's from 9 to 5 in Freeport, um, Long Island. And I'll be speaking about enriching your parrots' lives. And they have a wonderful vendor mart um, where you can get just about anything um, parrot-related that you're looking for. And then November 8th and 9th, we hope you've already marked your calendars for the Parrot Training and Enrichment Weekend in Austin, Texas. This one features Robin and myself. And again, a very fun event. It's going to be about a day and a half. And um, you can find more information about that at goodbirdinc.com, and you can register there as well. And the last one that we have on the calendar, which we also hope you've already marked on your calendar, is the Best Parrot Conference in Edison, New Jersey, um, May 29th to the 31st, 2009. And it's a long way off, but it's worth putting in your calendar because we've got some great speakers lined up. Barbara and myself will be speaking, Dr. Susan Friedman, Joanna Eccles from World Parrot Trust, Daryl Stiles from US, Dr. Daryl Stiles from USDA, and some a surprise guest that... We're going to save. We're going to make you keep listening to find out who that person, yeah. that, that guest is. A very, you'll like that one for sure. So we also have some websites that you may want to visit this time. We've got one of my favorite uh, items for making small treats for your parrot is this little mini chopper that I found at, um, I think I got it like at Bed Bath & Beyond or something like that. Um, but you can also visit the website of the company that makes the product. It's called oxo.com. So it's OXO.com and just do a search for the mini chopper and you'll find that there. And then another one of my favorite websites is mytrainingstore.com. You can get things like targets there and bait bags and clickers. Um, do they have enrichment items too? They do carry enrichment items. Mytrainingstores.com um, is owned by um, a couple that 
<clears throat> excuse me, has been in the animal field for years and years. They're they're really experienced trainers, and they know what trainers need. Um, to get the job done. Mm, good website, for sure. I've ordered lots of stuff there. Of course, you can also go to goodbirdink.com and theleatherelves.com. And for more information on the Best Parrot Conference, you can go to bestparrotconference.com. We also have some recommended resources for you on expanding your list of reinforcers, and uh, that's an article that I wrote for a conference and also wrote for Good Bird Magazine. I wrote another one called Food Glorious Food, Using Food to Train Your Bird at Home, and those can both be found at goodbirdinc.com, and just click on the digital media link for that. And I also offer enrichment workshops um, on a variety of techniques for offering presenting enrichment um, and you can contact me to host a workshop in your area if you're interested and the information is on theleatherelves.com for our enrichment tip of the week I have to say beware of the favorites trap um, I think we tend to sometimes oversaturate our parrots with what we consider their favorite reinforcer or enrichment and I think as I mentioned before with time that particular device or item will start losing its appeal because the novelty wears off. So try to vary your presentation of enrichment opportunities. And for the training tip of the week, I would like to mention that you need to be aware of where you hold your food when you're using food to reinforce your parrot. If your parrot sees it but can't get to it, it may create a little bit of frustration or anxiety, and it may also distract him from what you're trying to train him. So be very careful to keep that, that food reinforcer well hidden until you're ready to deliver it. So I guess we're out of time for this week. That's it. Well, if you do have any questions or suggestions, please feel free to contact us at robin at petliferadio.com and barbara at petliferadio.com. And if you'd like transcripts of this show, please visit www.petliferadio.com. That's it for this week. Well, bye-bye. See you later. Join us every week on Wings and Things and get a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about pet birds and how to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. Wings and Things. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.